Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jake Hirschman, along with a special guest and Ohio Bobcat alum, Debbie Antonelli, um, college basketball analyst with ESPN, and excited to talk with Debbie. Uh, as she, her career path is super interesting, um, coming from playing in college uh, to, uh, I'll let her explain in terms of how she got to where she is now, but pretty much on, on every screen to some extent possible when you're, when you're watching basketball on TV. So Debbie, welcome to the podcast. Jake, thank you so much for inviting me to be on your show. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to spending some time with you. Absolutely. So, you know, one, one would ask if, if they're watching some, you know, basketball, whether it's March Madness or WNBA, uh, basketball on ESPN, they, they, I see you on and they're like, well, how did Debbie get there? Um, <laughs> give us a, give us a quick snapshot. I mean, you're, you're from North Carolina, which is like basketball, you know, the basketball state other than Indiana, right? Yeah, no question. I mean, uh, well, the short version of it is uh, I played basketball at NC state for KU and a Smith hall of famer, who was my coach and my mentor. I was fortunate enough to have a 30 plus year relationship with her as a middle schooler, all the way through being a camper and, um, she had a, a profound influence on me and, and my role today and everything I do from a work standpoint to being a mom and a wife. Um, but uh, I, I graduated from NC State. I went to Ohio University. I was fortunate enough to get selected for the summer class. There were 10 of us. Uh, and I started in the summer in June of 1986. And I, I feel so fortunate that I got a chance to be a part of OU and do the things I got to do at OU. Uh, actually, class of 87. I'm sorry, class of 87. I started in June of 87. So, um, well, I went to OU. I finished my um, time there. I went to do my internship. My internship was at the University of Kentucky. Uh, I arrived at, at Kentucky in May of 88. Uh, when I arrived at the University of Kentucky, the assistant athletic director was a guy named Gene Filippo. He hired me as his intern, and he had a secretary, and that was the marketing and fundraising division of Kentucky Athletics in 1988. And uh, it, it seems so small, right? I mean, there's just three yeah. people, and I'm an intern. Um, but um, I ended up uh, getting a job as the director of marketing. I stayed there for four years. Uh, my first job at Kentucky, my first full-time job, I made 18000 and had a car, and I thought I was rich coming off that internship salary. And then uh, I spent four years there, had four great years of learning and growing. And um, when I was 27, I got the job at The Ohio State University as the director of marketing. And I reported to Archie Griffin. I was making 30000 in a car. And my path was on the external, uh, external affairs side of college athletics. I thought selling, marketing, fundraising, that was my personality. And I was tracking to be an athletic director. That was what I had planned to do. However, on the other side, because I played and I had this great passion for the game, I, uh, I wanted to figure out how I could stay in the game. And coaching was certainly an option then. I did get a couple of coaching offers, but I wasn't quite sure that was what I wanted to do at that point. I wanted to see how far I could take my career from um, external affairs side because, you know, there weren't a lot of um, – everything was so new in college athletics from corporate sponsorship and – external rights and, you know, um, just all the things that we have now with all the different companies that can uh, outsource, 
external stuff inside college athletics. And so the climate was so different back then. But I spent eight years in collegiate marketing and I worked calling games while I was doing that, whether it was radio or TV. The first game I ever did, Jake, was in November of 88 when a local comp- a local cable company, now I think ESPN is still fairly new in its infancy in the early parts of, of that company. Um, the right. local cable company came to us at Kentucky and said, can you produce, uh, can we produce a sporting event? We think we can do it. And we were like, you, you want to try a women's basketball game? And they're like, yes, that's exactly what we want to do. And I said, and my boss said, well, Gene Filippo said, well, Debbie, you want to do the game? And I was like, yeah, I'll do the game. That'd be awesome. And so it was kind of like hitting that sweet nine iron into the green. You know, once you got a small taste of it, a little sample of, um, it was fun to prep. It was fun to be involved. I scouted, I went to practice, I watched tape. I did everything you would do to prepare without having to deal with the players and uh, when I got to Ohio State, I continued to build that side of my um, resume. And then uh, it just worked out that I took a leap of faith after we had our first child and decided that I was going to go full time um, radio and TV and I was going to concentrate on basketball. And I have been very fortunate that this next college basketball season, when we all return, will be my 33rd year calling college basketball on the air that's incredible that's incredible i mean you know you think about you you are in the seat that you're in right now but i mean you could also be an athletic director so the versatility and and, um skill sets that you've got you know just seeing different you know different through different lenses uh is is truly amazing so as you sit there you know on the sideline um you know or or in the booth broadcasting what are some of those things that you've seen from that external business perspective that, you know, you've been able to see grow from, from when you first started on that side. You know what, Jake, this is what I'm uh, forever thankful for my time at Ohio university because of the network of OU. Now I'm sure it sounds probably cliche because anyone who's ever gone through the program understands how tight that family is and how much uh, that network enabled me to be able to have the opportunities that I have in my position right now, I'm so, uh, I'm somewhat, uh, I'm not sure you would say an outlier, but I have never had an agent. And so in my business, all of my colleagues have wow. agents. Now, I probably left some money on the table somewhere or didn't get a piece of work that I may should have had before or gotten earlier in my career. But my three boys and my husband have always served as my agents in terms of what I can and can't do. And that was sort of the way I looked at it. And there was actually a time in my career where I was doing 80 women's basketball, college basketball games. And that's all that ESPN was doing on their air was 80. So it it never made sense to me to get an agent or to try to, um, to do something different than what I was doing because the Ohio University Network and the way I approached the skill set of networking actually helped me not have to have an agent and to be able to get the work that I was able to get. And, and when I got the work that I was able to get early, calling men's games in the mid-90s and, you know, working my way up into finally getting a chance to call the ACC men's basketball tournament for Raycom for six years, which was a big, um, you know, part of my resume. And then now um, – 
you know, this year would have been my fourth year for CBS working on the men's tournament, calling the first and second round games with my partner, Carter Blackburn. And um, that, that is the Super Bowl for me. So it's pretty exciting. Uh, it's, it's a lot of hoops. Uh, but I, I'm forever thankful that the OU network allowed me to meet and learn and grow and to use that skill set of networking to be able to grow my, my own uh, career on the basketball broadcasting side. Yeah, one would ask, you know, from a from a broadcasting perspective, like what skill sets do you need? You know, do you have to be personable? I mean, all the, all the obvious things come out, but um, that networking piece that you just talked about is so crucial in your ability to understand, you know, how the different leagues are working or uh, what some of the teams are going through or how some of the players are having to deal with agents and just having those, those vast contacts that you can lean on. Um, as you've, you know, had the variety of experiences, what's that one thing from a skill set perspective outside of networking that stuck with you throughout, whether it was, you know, your time in marketing uh, as an intern to, you know, calling March Madness games? I think the ability to clearly, concisely uh, speak your message to, you know, say more with less, to be able to take a teaching point and refine it or add some vernacular to it that sounds interesting that people kind of go, huh, that was that was kind of cool or that was something I didn't know. Um, I'm, I'm constantly, I love the game of hoops. I've loved it since I can ever remember uh, my first team playing when I was a young girl playing CYO basketball in Hyde Park, New York. Um, growing up in the upstate New York and then, you know, doing middle school, high school and college in North Carolina. Um, I just I feel so fortunate that I've had a chance to learn from so many other people. And I, I think one of the pieces of advice that I like to give out right now is I'm in a position right now where I'm trying not to prove anything. I'm just trying to improve. And, and that's the attitude that I try to take into all the situations that I'm in, because Unfortunately, like it or not, um, sometimes a female voice on a male sporting event still has some issues to it for people, not for me, um, and certainly not for my colleagues or anybody that I work with or any of the coaches that I work with. Um, but it's just um, something that's out there that people aren't used to. So I, I go in with the attitude of trying not to prove anything. I'm just trying to improve. Well, and you talk about improving, you know, you, you were a player as well. And you mentioned you played for Kay Yao and, you know, what's the one thing that you could take from Kay uh, as you know, that you've taken into your life as well as what have you learned from some of the other coaches that you've been around uh, over the years? Well, from Kay, I mean, we don't have enough time to talk about all the things that <laughs> I, I'm so fortunate. I wish every player had the kind of relationship with their coach that I was able and fortunate to have. Um, she was such a great lady and cared about people more than she cared about you as her player. Um, but, you know, the KL Cancer Fund is a fund that, well, we've got $7.78 million in grants working to try to find a cure and, and battle all women's cancers and serve the underserved um, population of people that, um, you know, need testing and need to, to be serviced. Um, and, and we, we are, you know, that was one of her, her missions. And I'm a lifer on that board, which means she handpicked me and another former player who was older than me. We serve on that board forever. We never come off. And that's a really important thing for me is that 
my relationship with her and she had enough confidence in me uh, from all the years of our relationship to believe that I would help ensure her mission and her vision is taken care of. So servant leadership is probably the most important thing I learned from her. Um, I carry around these little stress balls. And when I speak, I hand them out. I've got three words on them, Jake. One of them is build. I want to be somebody who builds and is constructive with their time, with their decisions, with their efforts. Uh, I want to lift people up and no matter what role I'm in, whether I'm a broadcaster or I'm teaching basketball, I'm a wife or a mother, whatever I'm doing, I think about build, serve, and empower. Those are my three words. And um, that, that's what I challenge other people to do is come up with three power words, things that will pull you out when adversity strikes because it's going to strike. Um, it could come in any sort of form. We all have it. And uh, when it does hit, how quickly can you cycle out of, you know, the negative and pull yourself into the positive. And I use those three words to help me. No, that's a, that's a fantastic piece of advice. And, and certainly we'll take that one and develop my own three words, but you know, you, you mentioned adversity and you mentioned, you know, being a mom and having three kids and, you know, if, if, if you've been calling 80 games and, you know, you're traveling to, to different um, cities around the country, you're probably not home as often. And we were talking before the podcast, it's, you said it was your kind of your first real break since like 97. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, it's, it's, you know, I'd ask two things, right. One, um, you know, what have you learned about time management and just understanding how to uh, keep everything in check as you are traveling often and, and, you know, you're working on the road. And then the second part would be during this time of, of uncertainty and adversity, you know, what is something that you've learned that, you're trying to take away and, and improve yourself uh, with or, you know, over the next couple of months to, to a year to, to the future uh, of, you know, something that maybe you just wouldn't have thought uh, had you not had the time to kind of be home and, and just, you know, have some time with family. Yeah, well, I, we have three boys and uh, I jokingly always say that I haven't slept since 1995 when my first son was born. <laughs> I say I haven't been home uh, this much. I've been home since March 11th, uh, since 1997, when my second son, Frankie, was born. And then and Joey's my oldest son. And then uh, Patrick is uh, a senior in high school. So um, he's getting ready to, to graduate in whatever form that's going to look like uh, moving forward. Um, I think, uh, you know, um, the, I get the ask the work-life balance question a lot just because I am on the road and I, I do um, get to do a lot of things that takes me away from home because of my job. But first of all, my husband, Frank, is outstanding. He is a great support. He is, a, he is uh, on top of um, everything that we do. We do it as a team. I might not be here, but I'm still involved if I'm not here. Uh, my guys don't know any other way. Uh, I've always traveled since they were born. And so we've always figured out how to make that work. Um, and when they were younger, uh, we've always had somebody at the house that was here every day so that their routines would never be disrupted because I was not here. It's definitely different when the mom travels than when da the dad travels, that's for sure. But um, that, that would be um, something that's really important. And my guys are, are great. They're, they're, you know, they're very supportive of what I'm doing. They actually don't really care that I do anything until it comes up like a, you know, like something like one of my guys would come home and say, Mom, did you interview, uh, oh, I don't know, Tyler Hansbro from North Carolina? I said, uh, yeah, 
I did. Wow, because the guys were talking about it at lunch. And I was like, <laughs> that lasts about two minutes. And then they just move on to whatever's next. But um, <laughs> keeping that balance, and I, honestly, uh, I, you know, people always talk about finding time for their for themselves and all that. I, I don't, I don't really do that. I'm not really looking for that. I'm, I'm busy. I like what I do. I'm, I'm better when I'm busy. Uh, there's so much to do when I come home. I don't want to, you know, sit around and be tired because I've been on the road. I, I'm active and I'm involved with the guys and, um, you know, so I don't really look for any time off. I'm not somebody that, you know, goes to get their nails done and stuff like that. That's just not what I do. Um, so, uh, I, I just try to keep doing as much as I can do. And during this time, uh, I had always, because I'm so busy, um, traveling in basketball season encompasses really six, seven months of the, the year. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just trying to, um, you know, I always said I wish time would sort of stand still just so I could sort of catch up. And I feel like that's what I've been doing. And, and I'm catching up and uh, I'm, I'm more efforting to get ahead for next season. And so that, that's sort of what I'm doing. I've not really had the time to do that, but I feel pretty good about it. And uh, I'm excited about when we get back so we can get back at it. Uh, but I, I, will, I will mention one thing, just so uh, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. I, the one thing that I am doing right now that is this extra time has given me more time to be better prepared is I do a uh, special Olympic fundraiser. My middle son has Down syndrome, and he is – a full-time college student at Clemson in the Clemson Life Program. He is actually going to be a rising senior. So Frankie is uh, an unbelievable kid, and um, many people in the Ohio University family may not be aware. Some probably are, but last year I conducted a fundraiser. Uh, I shot free throws for 24 hours. It's called the 24-hour free throw wow. shooting marathon for Special Olympics. So, Jake, what I do is on the top of every hour, starting at noon this year on May 16 at noon, I'll make 100 free throws on the top of every hour for 24 hours. So at the end of 24 hours, I've made 2,400. And we live stream it. We got a YouTube channel. We got a Facebook Live. Um, of course, social media will be big. But the live stream has allowed us to, to grow the fundraising opportunities. And uh, last year, we raised in the first year of the event, we raised $85,000 for Special Olympics. And uh, I shot 94%. Now, this year, I'm going to be in <laughs> my driveway shooting in compliance with the CDC and the state rules because of the pandemic. So I will have a live stream, but uh, I won't be um, in a gym. So the elements, the weather, all that could play a factor. But uh, I had... Uh, it's, it's created incredible awareness and raised some money for, for Special Olympics. Uh, I'm a huge proponent and advocate of Special Olympics because of my son, for obvious reasons, who is an incredible athlete. And we've competed in a lot of different sports over our time. But uh, this fundraiser has encompassed a lot of my time during the year, and I am so proud of what we've been able to do in such a short time to add programming. And, um, you know, I, I – and trying to decide whether to do it this year, I had many sleepless nights trying to figure out, you know, because of the climate of our country, if this would be a good time to try to do this as a fundraiser. And then um, I kept coming back to special education is the least funded and the first cut. And when we come back, that will not be in the forefront of people's minds. And this population of people, these athletes, 
they need programming and they need sport and they need socialization because the isolation for everyone is challenging, especially for the Special Olympic population. So um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to ch- taking on the task and the challenge again. The, the preparation for me physically is really daunting. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I do get AARP mail on top of trying to do all this. So, you know, I've kind of aged myself into a situation where this is really challenging, but it's great. I mean, if I can, if I can complete the task and we can continue to keep this at a high level fundraiser and uh, I'm excited about adding people on the live stream that I, I didn't add last year that are going to be some superstar people that are going to show up. So um, I'm excited about that. That's incredible. And, and I definitely applaud you for that. And we'll, we'll get into kind of where we can follow and all that sort of stuff. But uh, Special Olympics, certainly near and dear to my heart. I was able to actually intern as one of my first internships with Special Olympics Arizona and uh, a mentor of mine who was our first guest on this podcast, Bill Schumard, CEO of Special Olympics Southern California. So awesome. um, certainly... Certainly love the mission and, and if we can help in any which way uh, and, and you know, hopefully connect with anyone else we can, um, we will certainly do so. You know, I think uh, I'm trying to sit there and go, man, 2,400 free throws. I already tore my rotator cuff playing baseball. I would probably <laughs> do that again if I tried to shoot 2,400 free throws, let alone – uh, I would not be 94% from the line, probably more in that 50 to 60% range, uh, which if you put that in baseball statistics, I'm, I'm doing just fine. So I've got a big, I have a huge free throw burpee routine going on right now in the driveway, <laughs> which is, um, you know, I hope is going to continue to get me ready to, to do this for 24 hours last year. Uh, I only slept for 15 minutes, but I had a tent and I had, you know, I had a little area that I could relax, but it was so exciting and there were so many people and it was so, you know, so much fun, but doing it in the driveway is going to be new and challenging, but I hope you'll check out our YouTube channel, 24 hours, nothing but net.com. That's where you can go and watch for 24 hours. So if you want to check on me at 3am, Jake, I will be out there shooting. <laughs> and uh, then there's... I'll- I'll definitely be, I'll definitely check that out no matter what the hour. Well, then we have, if you don't mind, our donation page is www.24hoursnbn.com. That would be nothing but net. So it's 24hoursnbn.com. And uh, if, if if people, if you just give me a penny for Special Olympics, that's just $24. And uh, $24 is going to make a huge difference. So if anyone is listening and doesn't mind going to that and giving me a penny for every free throw, that $24 goes a long way in programming, as you know. Well, you got, you got my penny. So we'll start there and hopefully we can start a trend for you, but um, certainly appreciate it. And, and one last question as we kind of wrap up the episode, you know, I, I've always found, I, I took a speech class in, in college and, our professor made us go, he would tape us and then he'd make us go back and we'd watch ourselves in a room all by ourselves. And we'd learn from, from ourselves on tape. I'd have to imagine you do something of that sort to, <laughs> you know, improve yourself and, you know, Hey, 33 years, you're coming up on 33 years. You've probably got it down pat, but you're, like you said, you're always trying to improve. Is that, is that a thing within the broadcasting world? Or you, do you watch yourself uh, to kind of see you know, what mannerisms or, or different things you can pick up on? 
Oh, yeah. I'm constantly screening my work. So, yes, this is another thing during this time, which is a great t a chance to watch a lot of games and to listen. Uh, I do some media training and team building, and I, I call it the four B's of communication. Uh, body language, brag on a teammate, because on a team, it's always it's never about you. It's about the team. So I help them craft how you speak to the media, how you interview for a job, how you present yourself. Um, so body language, brag on a teammate. The third B is no BS in your social media. And I go through what to avoid, what you should share, and some, some good practices there. And then the fourth B is branding. And I use the word brand in terms of team ego. I think a lot of times in sport, we talk about culture and identity, and they've almost become cliche. So it's kind of like when you ask a coach, what do you need to do to win the game? And the coach says, we got to rebound and not turn the ball over. Okay, yeah, we know that. Okay, that's that's like a standard cliche in, in sport for coaches. Got to take care of the ball. Can't you know? Got to rebound. Okay, well, what else do you got to do? We know that. What else do you need to do to win? So when when coaches talk about their culture or their identity, you know, I, I've I've put it together in terms of brand and team ego and what is you what do you want your team ego to look like? So um, when I'm thinking about those four B's, I certainly think about my own presentation on the air. Um, and, you know, when you come on the air, people read your body language right away. And it's how you say things. And it's almost as important as what you're actually saying. So you could be, uh, you know, I'm always excited because I can't believe I'm still sitting courtside and I get to call these games and I travel the country in college basketball and I'm around some of the greatest leaders and communicators in sport, great teachers. And uh, I'm just trying to soak up as much as I can. And they pay me for it. So it's awesome. It's even better. I mean, I think the last thing is, as we wrap up, um, you know, I think back to my time playing and I had to switch from throwing over the top to submarine and I had no clue how to do it or what to do. So I started watching, you know, different submarine pitchers. And I'd have to imagine when you got that first game under your belt, you know, going, oh, this is fun, you know, kind of like you're talking about the nine iron into the green, getting a little taste. Did you, I mean, was there someone that you uh, tried to go watch and, and understand or follow how they did things? You know, my early part of my career, because I was working at the University of Kentucky and every men's basketball game was televised. And I was a part of Kentucky basketball the first three years of Rick Pitino. So it was very exciting to be there uh, at that time. And so uh, Tom Hammond and Dan Issel, used to do the local broadcast. So there's a couple of guys that have been around a long time. Of course, Dan Issel is a, a legend at Kentucky. And uh, sometimes I'd sit in the truck. Sometimes I'd pull cable. Sometimes I'd sit between them for a broadcast. They actually let me do that once, uh, which I, is just amazing to think about doing that today. Uh, anytime I see a little girl, especially some little girl who, or, little, or even a little boy who might be sitting behind me, Sometimes I motion them up to come and put the spare headset on just so they can hear and see. And, you know, just because it's cool for a little kid to try, try on the headset. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of how I got started. And uh, I studied the game. Um, I want to be an expert on the rules. I want to be an expert on tendencies. You know, like in baseball, there's fundamentals and then there's concepts and philosophies that you put those fundamentals in. And so I'm constantly trying to figure out. I know what the fundamentals are. Uh, I want to know how you're going to put them in a concept and how you're going to win. What is best suiting uh, for your personnel and what is your tendency? And so I, I watch a lot of film and I, and I um, study the game and 
I've spent a lot of time watching a lot of uh, virtual clinics because that's what we've had time to do. Uh, instead of attending them in person, you get to watch them from your home office. I mean, that's one benefit of being home. And uh, I've tried to take advantage of that. No, that's fantastic. And I'm sure, you know, those that are coming up behind you, you know, are, are, are watching what you're doing and, and trying to, you know, learn a thing or two and take a page from your book. So Debbie, really appreciate the time and certainly look forward to uh, watching your 24 hour show uh, in, in the driveway. And gosh, I hope you have a rebounder. Well, you know what? I have um, a Dr. Dish. When I turn 50, that's what I wanted for my birthday. So I already got a rebounder. If it rains, I'll have some trouble. But if it's good weather, I'll be in great shape because the rebounder, Dr. Dish, uh, is um, actually, they're a great partner of mine on this fundraiser. And uh, I'm, um, if you donate to this event, you automatically qualify yourself to win a Dr. Dish because we are giving one away. So if uh, I know all the sports people that are listening to this, Dr. Dish is an awesome machine to have in your driveway. It's a rebounder, and it passes the ball back to you. Kind of like when you um, you know, were playing baseball and you had a, a toss back or a pitch back. Yeah. I know I grew up with yeah. a pitch back in the backyard. So that's what this is. It rebounds and passes it back. It's a great machine. It's a great skill set builder, and I'm very fortunate that uh, I own one. That's that's awesome. Nine, is it 95%? this year is that the goal i mean what are, are you <laughs> i hope i mean that's that's what i'm training for yes i want to awesome. shoot if i can get to i i would really like to think that i could do that but hopefully i can complete the task and we can raise some money that's more important in creating awareness for special olympics absolutely well debbie thank you so much and and certainly uh we'll we'll keep in touch thank you jake thanks debbie.